and doth not behave itself unseemly, a love that does not seek her own, a love that is not easily provoked, a love that thinks no evil, a love that does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, a love that endures all things. This is the love to which we are to build our lives upon. Will you bow with me? And just before we come to the word this morning, I wonder if you could look back at your life this week and say, you know what, I've fallen short of building my life upon that love. I think about that not easily provoked. Man, I was easily provoked on Thursday morning. Getting the kids ready for school, trying to get out the door. I was provoked. And I look and I come to it today and I go, oh man. I did not build my life upon your love because I was not enduring. I was easily provoked. I was not kind. And when we talk about needing his grace, we not only need his grace of strength to be kind, to endure, but we also need his grace of forgiveness. I wonder if there's a moment like that where, where you know I did not build my life upon his love. And then on the other end of that, I, I wonder if there is a place, there are times where you go, oh, the Holy Spirit can go, yeah, you relied upon my strength. You relied, you lived in my love. See, often we come in and we, we look at where we've fallen short, but I think we should also take note of where we, where we stood in the grace of God. Where the Lord's grace met you this week and where you were able to stand, I think we should come to him with gratitude and with thanksgiving. Lord God, I come to you right now. And Lord, uh, I do confess, I did not, I did not endure throughout this week always building my life upon your love. Where I have fallen short, I pray that you would forgive me. I pray too for my brothers and my sisters. They will they I, we will receive your grace of forgiveness today. We will know that when we come to you confessing that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I celebrate though. I celebrate the opportunities I had this week to be strengthened and equipped by you. The opportunities I had to walk in your truth and walk in your love. Lord, I receive that grace and I thank you for it. Might we mark those moments, not only where we've fallen short, but those moments where we stood. And when we mark those moments, might we mark, might we mark them knowing that we only stood by the grace of God. But having done all, we stood 
Thank you for helping us to withstand the fiery darts of the enemy. I pray that where we did stand, where we did walk in your love, that it will bear fruit. Maybe it's that long discipleship of our children that it will bear fruit in. Maybe it's in a, 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 a persistent testimony to our neighbors or to our co-workers where it will bear fruit. But we pray that it will bear fruit, not for people to look at us and say, oh, they're good folks, but for people to know that there is a God in heaven who loves them and he sent his son Jesus to die for them and he has filled them with his Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray. I pray might it bear fruit that it rescues people's lives. And then, Lord, I pray this. I pray that as we come together today, as we come to consider your word, your truth, your character, your nature. The Lord, we will be educated. We'll know more about your text and about you. But not just for the sake of simple educational purposes, Lord. Might we be filled and equipped so that we can continue to faithfully follow you as disciples of Jesus. And so that we can be ready and able to make and to mature other disciples of Christ. I pray these things in the mighty resurrected name of Jesus. Everybody said with me. Amen. Amen. So, um, my mom is not here this morning. And uh, I'll, I'll just tell you, she's with her dear friend, Beth. Uh, they're traveling to Tennessee, and I don't know what it is about Tennessee, but it's become very popular amongst the membership of Friends of Baptist Church. Uh, the Jones family, Brother Toby, Miss Danielle, and JT, they were there, and I think they hit every every notable place in uh, Tennessee, and they made, they made their worthwhile of a trip, and looks like y'all had a great time. JT, was it great? What was your favorite part, JT? Graceland? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> JT, were you practicing your? No, okay, all right. I know that. I was, a, I was a little. I was thinking it's probably better that you were sitting down so that you weren't, you know, playing like shifting those hips. Thank you about Elvis. Mimi told me that she saw Elvis in 1955. On the back of a trailer, he came in with his band, and she was sitting on a hay bale, and her mother paid three dollars. This was well before Elvis, Elvis, right? This was, this was in the early years. Pretty crazy. That's awesome, though. Not only did the Jones family go to Tennessee, right now, Brother Mike and Miss Kathy are in Tennessee this weekend. Um, I think they have like a, a Southern Gospel Quartet thing that they're going to go to today. And, uh, and that's going to be fun for them. And then my mom and them. So let me ask you, anybody else? planning on traveling to the volunteer state anybody are you really no oh, <laughs> oh my goodness all right so listen next week we're just going to meet in pigeon forge okay so. <laughs> no i told you all that my mom wasn't here today because i have a story about my mom and i feel most comfortable telling the story whenever she's not here <laughs> My dad used to say, if I want them to know, I would have told them, right? No, um, I kid about that, but 
my mom, she, um, when she was pregnant, she made the decision with each of us children that she was going to deliver naturally. And if you don't know what that means, that means that she was not going to use any anesthetics, uh, an epidural anesthetic. Yeah. So, mom goes on to tell that uh, while she was in labor, um, in the pain, the discomfort, the agony that labor is, she used a lot of cuss words. I mean, she was cussing up a storm. My mom never drank. She never did drugs. She never did anything like that. She was raised like in a super fundamentalist. And really, I wouldn't even just say a fundamentalist church. She was really raised under some like heavy legalism. And, um, and so she knew all the things that she wasn't supposed to do. But, but one thing that she, she crafted was a, was a mouth that could cuss. And what's so funny is my dad, my dad was like, the complete opposite. My dad was raised outside of the church. He was, uh, he, he drank at an early age. He abused drugs in his life. His family was just, they were just rowdy. And uh, whenever he came to Christ, he was like, everything got cleaned up and especially his mouth. I mean, I heard my dad say, damn, one time. And I, and I say that openly here because my grandfather told me that that's not a cuss word. My mom's dad, he said, oh, that's not a cuss word. I think he said, oh, hell, damn's not a cuss word, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> but my dad said it, and he was like immediately like, you know, like he failed so miserably. And I'm like, no, uh, I think that's hilarious. But that's how, the difference between my mom and my dad. So while my mom was in agony and labor, and she is, she's stringing together some cuss words, right? I think about like a Christmas story. My father could weave a net over the city of Chicago with this customer. That was my mom in labor, just cursing. And my dad looked at her and he said, Faith, I don't believe that there's any reason to use that sort of language. <laughs> my mom's response verbatim was, oh, yeah. You think there's no reason for this kind of language? You climb up here and we'll trade places. And all the women said, <laughs> oh, man. Um, of course, I think about labor today, and I think about my mom and that story of her with Angie, uh, with Sharon, with I. Um, we, we were brought into this world with a, with a lovely fragrance of uh, cursing, right? <laughs> Just, but, but I think about that because, because labor is agony and that's what it induces right uh to me like uh you know dad that was really noble of you really pious of you but it was not your place right <laughs> you know just all holes i mean all, all rules are off the table whatever a woman is in labor now now here's something that i can i can understand that but i can't identify with that right um what i think is even funnier about my mom in her, her agony of labor and her, you know, going like, how am I going to express myself? And so she used a bunch of foul language was, uh, she was, she and a, another woman after she had, after my mom had given birth to Angie and my mom nearly died whenever she was given birth to Angie, she got blood poisoning. And, um, 
and the doctor really thought she was about to die. Um, they had to do some uh, emergency things on her, and uh, they were. She was talking about it as ladies do. That she was talking about it with another woman, and the other one did not have such an unpleasant experience. And in fact, she said, I, "You know what? I just sat there and I was breathing, and I was just quoting the twenty-third psalm." And my mom said, <laughs> "I cannot repeat what I said in the labor room." <laughs> You know, they, they, they say that, like, the closest thing that men can come to labor is uh, passing a kidney stone, and I've passed a kidney stone, and whenever I think about that, I'm like, that's just some guy trying to say, hey, we, we've been there, too. But really, the truth is, is we can't really identify with it. We can only understand it, and we need your stories, ladies. We need your stories of, of the agony of it, and, and the reason why we, we, we need to know this is because, because throughout Scripture— the way that scripture commonly talks about the state of things as they are now is through this image of a woman writhing in childbirth. That's a predominant image. And, and I could give you a ton of scriptures, but I chose not to do that this morning. It's the image not only in Scripture, it's the image that Jesus uses. In Matthew chapter number 24, Jesus uses the image of a woman in labor to describe the way things are. Matthew 24, we could begin reading in verse number 1. And this is, this is after Jesus has concluded all of his teaching at the temple and all the challenges and opposition at the temple, he's leaving the temple court. And it says, as, as Jesus went out and he departed from the temple, his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, this is interesting. If you really think about what, what's being said here is, hey, this wasn't Jesus's first time at the temple, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, and the temple, if you know anything about this, like the, that's the second temple of Jerusalem, um, the first temple was built under Solomon, and then it was destroyed uh, whenever the Babylonians came in the second time. Uh, they came in the first time, and, and they just plundered the temple, but they, they left Jerusalem intact because they wanted Jerusalem to be this, the, like a, a part of their governing operations there in Palestine, what we know as Palestine today, but at that point uh, in Israel. And, um, and so... Uh, they came back the second time because instead of, instead of patiently uh, enduring under Babylonian government, uh, the Jewish leaders thought that they could revolt. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, you aren't going to revolt against me. And he went and he destroyed the city and he destroyed the temple. And if you all know this, the temple was a marvel of the world, the ancient world. This temple was beautiful. It was ornate. People would come to visit the temple. So they had to rebuild the temple. And, the, and what, what we learn is early on, the, 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 the rebuilt temple was nothing like the old temple. In fact, whenever they first, whenever they first set it up, the people who were there, it says that some of them were crying because it was not like the first temple. 
And some of them who had never seen the first temple were shouting because, hey, now we have a temple again. And it said that the, the noise between the crying and the lament and the shouting and the celebration, it was so much that you couldn't distinguish between the two. But when Herod became the governor of the province, which was a Roman province at this time, where Jerusalem and uh, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, when, when Herod became the governor over this region, Herod was called Herod the Great, not because he was a really great dude, he was actually a really terrible dude, but Herod was called Herod the Great because he, he, he actually brought a lot of wealth and influence into the region. And he was called the Great because he liked to build things. And he did some really amazing, like he built some amazing complexes. And, and, and there's remnants and ruins of those complexes still there today. But whenever Herod came in, um, Herod said, I'm going to uh, renovate and rebuild the temple. It used to be this glorious thing, and, and, and it's been through a lot of devastation since then. In fact, y'all should know this, that like, like the temple was destroyed under Babel, uh, under Nebuchadnezzar, and that was like in 587 BC. But but from that time forward, there were several times in which the temple was attacked, in which uh, abominable desolations took place. Like Daniel talks about it, and in in in, in Daniel, and 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 actually Antiochus Epiph uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, he went in there and he slaughtered a pig and he offered it at the temple. And there was other times in which the temple was desecrated. But Herod had this, had this grand vision. He said, I'm going, to, I'm going to rebuild the splendor of the temple. And people were so excited and energized by the work of the temple. So what Matthew was really trying to do is call our attention to, the, to, to this cultural reality. Another that shall not be thrown down. What we know historically is that Jesus was not talking about some far off distant event in the future. He was talking about something that would happen within the next 35 years. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Titus, the general of the Roman army, came in cut down the olive trees from the Mount of Olives, threw them on top of the temple court, burned them, and all the limestone basically exploded. If you're, you don't throw rocks in a fire. His disciples didn't say anything to him right there in, in that moment. They were just kind of stunned. And it says, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, so they were at the temple, now he's on the Mount of Olives. Just so you know how you get to the Mount of Olives from the temple is there was an eastern gate. And you can leave the temple on the east. The Mount of Olives sits on the east. 
and there's the Kidron Valley there, and you can look across from the Mount of Olives to the temple, and, and, and really you can have like a very great perspective of the temple. I've been on the Mount of Olives. I've been in what is known as the Garden of Gethsemane, and you could see right over there into the temple. So they left, went through the Eastern Gate, through the Kidron Valley, up to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sits down and his disciples come to him and they're like, okay, you just said some stuff back there. <laughs> we are very, very curious. <laughs> and here's what they ask him. When shall these things be? These things there is specifically, specifically talking about what he had just said. You see these buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. When's that going to happen? First question. Second question is, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Really, we should think not world there, um, even though there's great songs. It's the end of the world as we know it, right? If you if you're into sub pop punk music, you would appreciate that, right? Um, but the end of the age. And the re- reason why we, we want to kind of have that, have that in our mind and in our consciousness is, is, is Jewish thought didn't think like, hey, they thought in like aeons or ages. And they said this present age is corrupt, it's crooked, and we're looking for that, the, the new age. The age to come is what they would call it. But there's three questions here. Two of them are connected. One of them they think might be connected. They say, when will these things happen? When will this temple be destroyed? They think that might be connected. And what is the sign of your coming? And the end of the age, the end of this present age. They think these things are connected. And Jesus comes in and Jesus tells them, take heed, this is verse number four, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ, I am Messiah and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Everybody read the next part with me. See that ye be not troubled, thank you, for all these things must come to pass, come to pass. Please read the next words with me, but the end is not yet. What I just told you is going to happen. There will be wars, rumors of wars. This temple will be destroyed. These things will happen. But this is not the end. This is not the sign of the end. Jesus goes on and he says, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Is how the King James Version reads it. The uh, Greek word is Odin. And it literally means, if you looked it up in Strong's Concordance, it would say the, the travail of, or the pain of birth, the travail 
birth pain. Or travail of labor, birth pain. Jesus says, these things are the birth pain. These things are not the sign of the end of the age, or the sign of my coming, or the end of the age. These are birth He is picking up on a prophetic tradition that uses this language. Specifically, and it's all throughout the prophets in various forms, but, but, but the one he uses it the most. All these, all these neighboring countries that, that are about to be uh, decimated basically by Assyria is what uh, the prophet Isaiah is warning about. And then later Babylon. But whenever it talks about like, hey, hey, all, the, all that you're going to suffer, all that you're going to endure, it's always spoken of as birth pains. Travail of oh, like a woman in labor. And so what, what do we do? Sometimes we look at these texts and we go, oh man, there's all these birth pains. There's this writhing. We hear, hear that and then we think about Paul whenever he says, all creation groaneth even till now. Using that same kind of imagery, that same kind of thought process. Like all creation is groaning. It's, it's writhing in pain. It's about to be delivered of something. Paul says it uses uh, the uh, metaphor of birth pains again in 2 Thessalonians. So what typically happens is when we hear the, the thought process of birth pains, we, when we hear about wars and rumors of wars, or there's a new pestilence or a new plague or a new pandemic, another natural disaster, we go, these are the birth pains but don't worry, they're going to give birth to the new age. Today, I want us to reframe our mind about what these birth pains produce and about how the new day will be born. What will these birth pains produce and how will the new day be reborn? To do that, I would ask you to journey with me to Isaiah chapter number 26. Isaiah chapter number 26. It's imagining a day in which uh, restoration has happened. There's a big praise song that begins all the way throughout. But then you get down to... You get down to... Verse number 16, and after celebrating like this, this, this anticipation, uh, this anticipated celebration, what will be on that in the future whenever the Lord has restored the kingdom, 
They talk about, hey, you visited us, but, but there, there was a way in which we were living. I'm going to read it in the King's English. I might even come back and read it in the New Living Translation as well, uh, just in case we need it uh, just a little bit uh, more clear. But it says, Lord, in trouble have they visited thee. They poured out a prayer when thy chastening was upon them. Hey, before the restoration, whenever things were as they were, the, your people came seeking you. They're praying to you while they were being punished. And of course, we know all of the, um, all the judgments that came upon Israel were, not, uh, were because of, were wrought out of punishment, out of their uh, failure to be faithful to the Lord. In trouble, we visited you. We poured out our prayer. Here's how we were in verse 17. We were like as a woman with child that draweth near to the time of her delivery. Like a woman who is in pain and crieth out in her pains. So have we been in thy sight, O Lord. So Isaiah says, hey, after, when they're singing this song in the future, they're going to look back to what they were like. And they were in anguish. They were travailing in pain. They were feeling the contractions, if you will, of a world gone awry. We have been with child. We have been with pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not wrought any deliverance in earth, neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Could you imagine, maybe some of y'all have had to live it, going through the pains of labor? only to deliver nothing. Is there a greater sorrow? That baby crying right there is a reminder that when you're going through the travail of pain, you want there to be joy on the other side. You want that baby to be patted on the back, to cough up whatever was congesting them, and to breathe in with a big old cry. And when you don't get that, all the agony was for nothing. Here's what I want us to grab hold of here. The birth pains of this world don't produce life. A healthy, bouncy, bubbly life. Now let's think about what the birth pains of this world are. Wars. Nation rising against nation. 
How often are we deceived to think this is the war that's going to end all wars? This is the fight that is going to get everybody whipped into shape. Pestilences and plagues. If we've seen anything over the last 20 months or so, we've seen that a plague can come in to an uneasy situation as it was before, and it can really ramp up hostilities, disagreements. Here's what I want us to get our minds and hearts wrapped around. Sometimes we've, we've all heard the prophecy preachers. I mean, a few years ago, there was even that book, The Harbinger, that came out. It says, oh, oh, you see all these things? These are all setting up the end times. That could be true. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus simply says, these things will happen and the end is not yet. Imagine how important this was to to his disciples in 33 AD. Who were going to take a group of people and multiply them, not only in Jerusalem, but then they were going to move into Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world. And they were going to take the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is Lord. And last summer we looked at this during the first century A.D., where Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, where all these, uh, where all these lands were, what today we know modern day as Palestine or as Israel, this little plot of land, it was one of the deadliest, most hostile times in all of their history. And it would culminate in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem and Jerusalem's temple. And Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, these buildings are going to be blown to bits. And I bet you are going to think, it's the end of the world as we know it. But this is life as it is now. And what we've seen 2,000 years removed is That has been the case from year after year, generation after generation. There's always been these moments where the contractions seem to be, it has to give birth to something, and guess what? We got hot air. It just continues on it's just rising in pain but there's no delivery of anything more will the kingdom be born in such a way 
I invite your attention to Isaiah 66. We'll begin in verse number five. Just so you know, this is where we, where the Lord is talking about the new heavens and the new earth that shall come. But verse number five says, Hear ye the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified, but he, the Lord, shall appear to your joy. Think about how this specifically relates to Jesus. They thought that they were glorifying God by killing Jesus. But the Lord appeared to Jesus up from the grave. He arose to his joy, and they shall be ashamed. A voice of noise from the city. People, there's, there, there's, there's much noise going on in the city. A voice from the temple. A voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. And here's what the Lord says. Sounding out from the temple. Do you all hear that noise? Do you hear what the Lord's saying? He, he's speaking out of his temple. Everybody give ear. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God? Two very interesting points of this text compared with the 26th text. For one, one was in heavy labor pains and one was not. For two, for two, one brought forth nothing. And the other brings forth the nation, the kingdom. So when we look at this cosmically and we're going, hey, we are looking for the joy that is set before us. What we should know is that every pain that we are experiencing now These birth pains that have been since the beginning will continue. That sounds hopeless in some regard, but I think it should be preparatory for us. It should be preparatory for us if we know, hey, you know what? After this pandemic, there's going to be something else. 
It was preparatory for Jesus' disciples that they knew that there was going to be imminent danger upon Jerusalem because if they didn't have their minds and their hearts squared away on this, they could have, instead of living for the gospel of the kingdom of God, they could have gotten swept up, and we talked about this last year, they could have gotten swept up in the nationalism. We need to protect Jerusalem. Or they could have gotten swept up on the other end. Well, no, actually, we need to fight with Rome. But the church wasn't supposed to be taking sides. Especially the church that was made up of old stock Jews from Jerusalem. And Roman citizens. Former pagans. What I've been concerned with is how little preparation we have had in this regard. And I'm not speaking about us in particular here at Friends of Baptist Church. I'm talking about the church at large. Whenever I look around and I see that there are people who, instead of going, oh, these are, these are the birth pains. And if I get caught up in the birth pains, they're not going to deliver anything good. But people who stuck up. Churches that have started. We're nationalists. We believe that, you know, Jesus is for America. Well, Jesus is, he's for America. He's more for America than he is for Iran. How dare you say that? No. They all went to the uttermost. And Jesus commissioned his disciples, you don't stay here in Jerusalem. You get out of Jerusalem. You go to Judea. You go to Samaria. Oh, oh, oh. You go to the uttermost part of the earth. That's why we struggle when we see a bunch of Haitians at our border because we understand, like, hey, there are practical logistical issues to this that are complex. But my heart is torn because I know I'm not an American first, but I am a child of God. I am a citizen of the kingdom. And if I can't weep with them, if I go, oh, I don't want them in here my first response, then I need to check my heart. And instead of bickering and complaining, let's, let's be prepared this way. You go, okay, preacher, what should we do? Well, at the very least we could do is pray. In Isaiah chapter number 26, they said, we, we sought you because we were in birth pains and these birth pains delivered nothing. But what did we do? We sought you through prayer. Might we pray? It's preparatory when we think about it cosmically, but I think it also just practically in our lives. In our lives, we have to remember that the birth pains are caused by wars and rumors of wars. And James tells us, where do wars and fightings come from? Do they not arise from your members which lust in your body you bite and you devour you steal you harm from one another we have covetousness and greed idolatry and you and I think that these, if we chase after this, it's going to give birth to something great. 
some great hope, some great vision, some lasting desire, some great satisfaction, but it's going to give birth to nothing. You know, I, I mentioned Thursday morning in my prayer, I got, I was easily provoked <laughs> to anger. My boys do that sometimes. And I was not walking in the spirit. What it produced was hostility in our car on the way to school. My oldest who gets, he doesn't get sad, he gets angry. Oh, God, God, Dad. Everything that I said, God, Dad, God, uh. My middle son, crying. And not crying because like he's just being uh, whiny, but crying because Dad legitimately hurt his feelings and scared him. Because dad barked out an order. My youngest son, I think, just oblivious. Probably. <laughs> I don't even know if any of this hit him. But all I can say is it did not bring, it did not deliver anything good. What had to happen was confession and repentance. Boys, dad did not do right. He did not walk in the spirit. Dad is sorry for that. And right now, what we're going to cling to is that God's mercies are new, and we're going to go to him, and we're going to seek God's mercies freshly. Last thing is this. The kingdom of heaven does not travail with the pains of birth like wars and rumors of war. The kingdom is a peaceable kingdom. And the kingdom comes without such labor pains as this world has. But the kingdom truly comes. Think about that cosmically. There will be a day. What Jesus ends up pointing to, and we can look at the thief metaphor later because Paul uses it, Revelation uses it. He says like a thief in the night. There is no sign that you should be looking for. It will just happen upon you like a thief in the night. And then he says, if, 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 if the good man of the house was, was, was ready for the thief, he would not have been overtaken. He tells us to be ready, to always be watching, and to always be faithful, to always be doing the work that we've been called to do, to be living in the faith that we've been called to live. So that we are not overtaken like a thief. But he says, it's still coming like a thief. He doesn't know. The angels don't know. The only one who knows is God. So anybody who tells me that they know because of X, Y, and Z, they are wrong because they are putting themselves in the place of God. Or anybody who says, well, you see this last domino? It needs to fall. They're wrong. 
No, you are not God. That's all you should respond. Oh, yeah, you're God now? Well, what do you mean? Because Jesus told me only the Father knows. And you're saying that you know. Or that you can figure it out through this timeline and this map and this code. It will come. What I think is great about that, without travailing in birth, it gives, like the kingdom is here, is in Revelation, it says, there's going to be this cry out, Babylon the great has fallen in an hour. It took no time at all. I talked about this a few weeks ago, whenever Jesus rides in on the white horse, it looks like this bloody, gory scene. But you know what they failed to describe is the actual battle. It says he comes in with the sword, and the sword is the word all throughout Scripture. And he's the one who has the ability to judge. And he does judge. Don't get me wrong. But to be slayed by the sword of his mouth is far different than to be blown up with an IED. Practically, I want us to know this. While we're waiting for that day, we should trust. The kingdom comes not through the travail of wars and rumors of wars, not through us doing the violent, but through us doing the peaceable. Not through us doing things through hostility and rage, but us doing things out of concern compassion and love. And when we do this, when we do this, we do see the kingdom popping up. Grace of God right there in that moment. And so, we might, I'm not recommending this, but you might find yourself with the travail and the pain that we live in, you might find yourself cussing what my mom cussed. I would invite us, though, to pray. You might find yourself tempted to, to fight on the right side, and I would caution us to say that the only side that matters is the side of Christ. And the side of Christ looks very interesting because he said, love your enemies. Offer them your other cheek whenever they hit you on one cheek. Give them your coat and your cloak. Go the extra mile. Pray. Choose Team Jesus. The kingdom way of Jesus. And while we travail in birth, no. No, be prepared for this. The next war is not going to deliver us the kingdom. The next earthquake is not going to be the moment of judgment that wraps everybody together. But the kingdom is coming. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. Lord, your word is nothing more than marrow to our bones as 
the psalmist describes it, but also as Peter says, it can be hard to understand. Lord, my prayer is that we've given some understanding to your word here today. And Lord, I pray and I ask that you would help us, that we would take and we would know how to apply your word, that your spirit would lead us. And the very simple application of this is, are we going to choose the things that create labor pains but produce nothing? Or are we going to choose the way of Christ which produces life? I pray that we would be those who choose the way of Christ. Lord, I pray all these things in Christ's mighty resurrected name. I'm going to invite you at this time to keep your head bowed, eyes closed, to have a season in which you are contemplating the scripture, contemplating the word, not only that's been spoken, but, but what is God speaking to you right now? Talk to God about what he's talking to you about. Brother Mitch and the praise team are going to begin singing in a few minutes. And, and after you've had some time to meet with the Lord, if we invite you to join in with them. But if you're still meeting with the Lord, don't let the song interrupt you. You keep on meeting with the Lord. If anybody needs anybody to pray with, you can come down here and you can speak with me. I will pray with you or I'll direct somebody else. But let's take this time and let's just reflect on what God has said, what he's speaking to you, what he's spoken to us. If we need to seek his forgiveness and his mercy, we just need to celebrate his good name. We might need to wrestle with the text a little bit. Let's take that time right now. Go ahead, Mitch.